Greetings, everyone. This is Dr. Odell Glenn of the OG Inspiration Show, empowering you and educating you and basically hoping that you have an awesome week this week. Hope you had a great week last week. And we are looking forward to the wonderful things that we have to share with you this week. Well, the purpose of the OG Inspiration Show is to inspire, to motivate, empower, educate, enrich the lives of others through education, my own experiences, nonprofit organizations, authors, faith-based communities, coaches, entrepreneurs, professionals, and small business owners. Well, the purpose of life is to live it, to taste experience, to turn obstacles into opportunity to the utmost and to reach out eagerly and without fear for newer and richer experiences. Well, we have an innovative God and he is constantly challenging us to reflect his glory, to utilize the characteristics he has given each of us to move forward towards righteousness. And we must often be innovative in that task. As you hear me repeat that each week so that it could sink down in your spirit. And so as I do each week, I start off with motivational quotes. And today I have about five of them. And so the first one I wanna encourage you on is this quote, strength lies in differences, not in similarity. So again, strength lies in differences, not in similarities. We have an awesome guest here this morning who is going to share with some of his differences, but his strength and all of our strength lies in our differences, not so much being the same as everybody else. And you want your unique gift to flow and to shine and be authentically you. That's where your strength lies. Second quote is, be the change you wish to see in the world. And then Proverbs 31 and 8 repeats that, be the voice of those who don't have one. So sometimes you have to be the example. You have to be the change. You have to be the catalyst to bring about change and the betterment for someone else. Next quote I have is, never be afraid to raise your voice for honesty, truth, and compassion against injustice, lying, and greed. And there's a scripture that actually supports that, Micah 6 and 8. What doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God? So sometimes you have to raise your voice, and sometimes your voice is through voting. Sometimes your voice is through being an activist. Sometimes your voice is to be a support for the change that you want to see against injustice, against greed. And such a time as this, do we need to adhere to that? Another inspirational saying is privilege is when you think something is not a problem because it's not a problem to you personally. So I'm just going to leave that right there. And then another quote is, don't be afraid of being different. Be afraid of being the same as everyone else. Again, that supports what I initially mentioned. Being different is your strength. Being different helps change the world. Being different makes you uniquely you, which you have purpose. And your purpose is to fulfill that difference to bring a change or a difference in someone else. And you know, you never know how far that can go until you start being different and tapping into that different differentness to bring change about. Right. And so, as I mentioned, we have a very special guest with us here in the studio, and his name is Mr. Kevin Hoffman. 
He is a an accomplished writer and a public speaker and has appeared across the United States of America, sharing his experience and guiding parents, students, and professionals through today's multicultural landscape. His perspective and lighthearted yet contemplative view resonates with people of all cultures, and he is sought out by many. Kevin has been interviewed by media, including Nightline, ABC, and NPR, and is quickly becoming a trusted voice on the topics of race and adoption. By the time he was two years old, Kevin Hoffman had survived an abortion, been given away by his mother, adopted by a family of another race, and woke up to a burning cross in his front yard. Kevin was born in Detroit in August 1967, two weeks after the riots that changed that city forever. It was out of these amazing circumstances his life began. It is out of those experiences he tells his story, a story of struggle and joy pain and passion, and most of all, hope. Kevin's layered racial resume has led him to write a memoir called Growing Up Black and White, a compelling memoir revealing his difficulties and joys growing up in a diverse family, particularly during a time and a location where acceptance was tentative and emotions regarding race ran high and hot. Because his story also addresses the impact of race and culture in society, it serves as a catalyst for open discussions on diversity and inclusion, as well as race and culture. Kevin has worked with several K through 12 school districts, universities, and adoption agencies as a consultant in the area of cultural intelligence. After this commercial break, we will hear and have a chat with Mr. Kevin Hoffman on his memoir entitled Growing Up Black and white, and also he will give us some insights on race and culture after this commercial break. In need of a motivational speaker for your upcoming event? Dr. Glenn speaks at school graduations, public gatherings, colleges, and universities. In addition, he is a national radio personality as well as published author. Have him speak at your next in-person or online event at 3tierfoundation at gmail.com. That's the number three tierfoundation at gmail.com. Are you a full-time caregiver for a loved one with a terminal illness? Do you feel overwhelmed at times? Do you often feel as if there is no hope? Well, with over 12 years of caregiving experience for two parents alone, in addition to writing a dissertation, fulfilling ministerial obligations, working home-based businesses, and radio personality responsibilities, Dr. Odell Glenn has found the time and has had the energy to write a book to inspire and empower other caregivers. Purchase his book entitled, Caregiving, the Inspirational Manual, on his website at www.ogcaregiving.com. And you can also book him to come and speak at your next event, function, or club. Again, the website is www.ogcaregiving.com. Do you need a certain SAT score to get into the college of your choice? Well, Dr. Odell Glenn can help you get it. The Three-Tier Foundation offers online SAT prep classes. Dr. Glenn will show you test strategies and tactics needed to get the score you want. The exam is beatable with the proper coach. We are open to working with individuals, schools, and groups for six-week online sessions. Sign up at www.3tierfoundation.com. 
forward slash SAT dash preparation. That's www.3tierfoundation.com forward slash SAT dash preparation. Do you have that burning desire to educate, empower, and inspire community? We here at WDRB Media provide you with such wonderful opportunities to make such a positive impact. So step out on faith and make a significant difference with your gift. We care about your voice and the impact it has. Call 1-877-342-7770 and provide them with the code 1349 to begin the process. That's 1-877-342-7770 and code 1349. Okay, welcome back, audience. As I mentioned, we are in the studio with Mr. Kevin Hoffman. Mr. Kevin Hoffman, can you introduce yourself to the audience and tell you where, tell us where you're from? Yes, my name is Kevin Hoffman, and I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. All right, great, great. And so, Kevin, could you tell us a little about your education, where you went to college, and your degrees? Yep. So I went to Elma College, majored in exercise physiology, and unfortunately didn't figure it out till I was a senior that I probably should have majored in English. So my advice to all kids is follow your passion. I was always a writer, always knew that and should have followed that. Awesome. Well, you are working in your passion now. And so that's all that matters. Can you tell us where Elma College is So Elma College is right in the center of Michigan, 15 miles south of Mount Pleasant, Michigan, where Central Michigan University is located. It's about 60 miles north of Lansing, where uh, Michigan State University is. It's right in between those, in the middle of nowhere. It's in the middle of farm fields. Oh, wow. Okay, great. Sometimes those are the best places and environments to learn. So Kevin, fast forwarding now, could you tell us what inspired you to write your memoir, Growing Up Black and White, what was the inspiration that motivated you to write such? I had always been a writer and just thought, you know, this is an interesting story. Not everyone grows up, you know, a black kid in one of Detroit, you know, one of our country's, you know, (laughs) blackest cities living with a white family. And so I thought, man, this is just an interesting story to kind of convey to people. And really, you know, I, I wrote it 10 years ago. I've done a second edition, which gets more into some of the issues of race. But yeah, I just... Looking back on it now, probably my biggest inspiration for writing the book was as a person of color and as an adoptee, I simply wanted to be heard. And so the book was my way of showing people and telling people how I saw the world from this little black kid's point of view in this country that spends a lot of time and energy on race. Great, great, great. And so, Kevin, your book, Growing Up Black and White, talks about your journey to find your racial identity. What lessons have you learned from growing up in such a unique blended family? Just the importance of race. So when I was three years old, we moved from Dearborn, Michigan, which was a very white suburb of Dearborn at the time, or of Detroit at the time. And we basically were chased out of Dearborn because, you know, the community wasn't ready for this multicultural family. So we left Dearborn at eight when I was three. Uh, My father chose to pastor a church on the northwest side of Detroit where the parsonage of the 
home where we lived was in a black neighborhood. So I always grew up around kids like me. And that was important because I needed to find my own tribe, my own clan. Mm -hmm. And right away at three years old, when I would go out and play with those other black kids, there was just this sense of home for me. And so that was important. It was important for me to learn about where I came from, what my culture was, and then to also understand that black was so much more than what I saw on TV or read in the newspaper. And so I was very fortunate that I grew up around kids that showed me the many hues of what black is and was. Okay. And so let's get into the structure of the house that you grew up in. Could you explain you I read in your bio, you basically was the only black child in the family and it was three other kids in there and it was could you tell us the, the culture of the family that you grew up in? As a white family, we didn't have a culture. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, and that was probably one of our biggest mistakes was that my parents, I think, looked at it like we're this white family that just happened to have adopted a black family. Mm-hmm. And we talk about this now. It would have been better to see us as this multicultural family where we celebrated all cultures. I was fortunate in that my parents could just say, go out and play and I could get in touch with my own culture. But I think that created kind of this divide in our family because my brothers grew up thinking that there were a lot of concessions made for this black kid. We moved to a black neighborhood. We go to black schools. And so I think where I was kind of flourishing, they really struggled because they were the minority in a lot of situations. Right. And so can you explain even before that, what made what was the catalyst to move to an all black neighborhood when you were already in? white neighborhood? Well, like I said, we were pretty much chased out of Dearborn. The church tried to fire my father because he had brought this child of color into the, the church. Are you serious? The church tried yes. to? Yes. Wow. Um, so they tried to fire my father. And then, you know, when I was 11 months old or yeah, 11 months old, someone in the community uh, burned a cross in our front yard. Now, let's stop right there. Burning a cross in your front yard. Do you vividly remember that? And how did you feel as a child when you when you were told that or, or remember that? I don't remember it because I was I was young. I was only 11 months old when it happened. Um, and then, you know, to my parents' credit, they didn't share didn't even share that with me. And I think they were just trying to protect me as I grew up. Now, as I got older, they explained to me what happened. But during that time, I had no idea what was going on around me. But yeah, that was the reason why we moved was that my parents were trying to find a place where us as a family could just fit in and get along. So, And they also understood they couldn't teach me what they didn't know. They couldn't teach me about Black culture. They couldn't teach me to be this confident child of color on their own. So they wanted to put me in touch with people that could help with that. Wow. That was that was very, very kind of them. And to move you into an environment where you could be nurtured as well. And so let's just get back to this church. Do you know that church has changed over the years or you're not in contact with, with them to know enough about the love that they should now portray moving forward in 2021? Yeah, so that happened over 53 years ago. Right. I was born in 1967. Um, yeah, so the pastor at that church refused to baptize me, the head pastor. My father was an associate pastor. 
So the head pastor refused to uh, baptize me at the church. He he didn't want to do it just because I was a child of color and actually pawned that off on another associate pastor. So I was baptized in that church, St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Dearborn, Michigan. And yeah, they began this process of trying to fire my father. And that, that ended with them calling in the bishop of Southeast Michigan, where they held a meeting after church one Sunday. And then anybody and everybody could get up at this meeting and level any kind of accusation at my father who sat at the front of the church next to the bishop. And they did that for three hours. And people just got up and said whatever they wanted to, whether it was true or not. And, you know, just giving their made up reasons of why my father shouldn't be employed there. At the end of that three hours, the bishop of Southeast Michigan, it was his job to call for a vote. And it was it was really like Survivor. They were going to vote us in or vote us out. And everyone got the impression they were going to vote us off the island. And my father and our family of six was going to be not only unemployed, but we lived in the house owned by the church, so we were going to be homeless. Thankfully, that bishop got up in front of that church and scolded them for not talking about what was really going on. And that bishop actually became a good friend of our families. Uh, when we moved, we moved to Detroit three years after that, where my father, like I said, was the pastor of a church that was 50% white, 50% black. He would pastor that church for five years. And then the bishop, who had saved us in Dearborn needed an assistant. So he hired my father and we moved out of the black neighborhood when I was eight years old, two miles away, still in Detroit, but now in an all white neighborhood. Very touching story. And so you were the center of attention of just being a different color that sparked all of this tension. And so, yeah, so then let me answer your last question. She would ask, have I been in touch with the church? Right. I wrote the book 10 years ago. Soon after it came out, I went to the church and right. I had a copy of the book. And I remember walking into the office and there were three women behind this large, it was like a counter. And I walk up to the counter and one of the women looks up, they're all folding the bulletins for the Sunday service. Mm -hmm. So one of them looks up at me, looks me dead in my face and goes right back to what she was doing and never says anything. And the wow. other two just totally ignore me. And I thought, and that was probably what, 40 some years after, you know, I lived there. And I just thought to myself, man, not much has changed. So I dropped off a copy of my book and never heard from them. Late last year, my sister, for some reason, was on their website. And they're celebrating St. Paul's in Dearborn, Michigan is celebrating, I think it's either their 100th year or their 150th year. And I thought it was interesting. There's a tab on the website that goes over their history. So my sister had pointed out to me that she found this. And I went on there and saw there was no mention of my father even being a part of this church or what happened. So I, I sent an email to the pastor and said, you know, I'm the son of Richard Hoffman. He used to be an associate pastor there. And I don't see him or the horrible things our family went through as part of your history. And to my surprise, the pastor called me and said, we're reading your book. We'd like you to, you know, because of COVID, you can't come, but we'd like you to hold a Zoom conference and kind of ex express to us what that was like. So I had my mom on the Zoom call. My sister was on the Zoom call and we met with the pastor and a couple of members of the congregation. And uh, yeah, and the cool full circle moment is my mom now, my mom, you know, has always been into social justice and equality and equity. And so, and her and I are actually in a book study. Um, it's called The Trouble I've Seen. It's about racism in the church. Wow. And my mom is going to basically hold a book study with the church that rejected us, you know, 50 some years ago and walk them through, you know, the racism in the church. Very, very, very 
powerful testimony. And so all I could say is let the healing begin. Can you tell me what was this during COVID that all this happened or when the Black Lives Matter movement went? Yeah. So everything that happened last year, I think that kind of spurred them on to make some changes. And Dearborn is interesting. So Dearborn's a suburb of Detroit, was very white when we lived there. The interesting thing with Dearborn now is that the the mayor that was Mayor Hubbard, who ran the city when I grew up there, uh, was just a straight racist. I mean, everyone knows if you talk to people from the area, they're very familiar with Mayor Hubbard and how racist he was. What he tried to do was keep people of color, especially people from Detroit, outside of Dearborn. I think the, the funny thing to me today is that Dearborn, Michigan now has the largest Middle Eastern population in the world outside the Middle East. So what he tried to do, he failed miserably at it. And the cool thing is that the church finally kind of came around and you can go to their website now. You know, we just found this out Sunday. They have updated their history and they've included a part in their history that tells about the cross burning incident and the fact that the church was not very welcoming to our family. Wow. Well, that is part of healing. And so I'm grateful to know that in 2021, they're moving, taking steps towards healing and uncovering the veil. Kevin, can you tell us a little about your biological mother? I understand that when she was pregnant with you, she went to her sister's to borrow money to have you aborted. Yet, praise the Lord, you're here today. Can you tell us about that story? Yeah, so my mother lived at home with her three kids and husband, Louie. You know, she was just a working class family struggling to make ends meet. In early 1967, she was close to her mother. Her mother suddenly passed away. And my mother was heartbroken about that and just needed some comfort and someone to console her. She understood her husband, Louie, just wasn't built that way. And so he could not provide the comfort that she needed. And she found that in the arms of a co-worker. She worked at the Chevy stamping plant in Livonia, Michigan, in the cafeteria. And she had an affair with a black co-worker, my mother's wife. And I was the result. When my mother found out she was pregnant, she ran over to her sister Nancy's house, uh, asking for a loan to have me aborted. Her sister actually gave her the money. And my mother left with every intention to travel from Livonia, Michigan, a suburb of Detroit, to Flint, Michigan, to have my life extinguished. It's a 60-mile trip between Livonia and Flint. And somewhere along that long, cold highway, my mother changed her mind, chose to go back home, explain to her white husband that she was pregnant by a Black man and that she was going to have the child. And that is very significant when you consider the time that this happened. This was, like I said, late 60s in Detroit. And quite honestly, her husband could have responded in a number of different different ways, one of which could have been very violent. And I don't think the police would have even have been called because it was a white woman who was cheating on her husband with the black man. Right. So, yeah, I'm very thankful that my mother had the courage to go home and tell her husband she was going to give life to me. And his only caveat was that she would have to put me up for adoption immediately, which she did. Okay. Are you still in contact with your mother or no? No. So when back, I just writ, wrote the book in 2010 and uh, I had started searching when I was in college. I looked on and off for 20 years and decided to try it again right after I wrote the book. Found my mother, but unfortunately also found out that this was 2009. 
Uh, in 2003, my mother died. And then later on found out my biological father, who I don't think had any contact with my mother and actually didn't even know I was born. He died within two weeks of my mother. Oh, wow. Okay, so audience, this is a really compelling story, but some of you may be going through experiences like that or have never shared and so Kevin is educating us about his experiences through his book, Growing Up Black and White. And so this is why I mentioned in the inspirational quote, strength lies in your differences, not in similarities. Because you're different doesn't mean that you don't have a gift to portray or knowledge to explore and expand to heal others. And so let's talk about purpose Kevin, you talk a lot about finding purpose in your book. What do you believe is the purpose in your life? And tell us about the term you use, abandoned purpose. Yeah, so my purpose is no doubt to find a way to reconcile the races that I'm made up of. There were a lot of sacrifices made for me to be here today, and I don't take that lightly. And so I spend the majority of my time trying to figure out how we, especially black and white people, can figure this thing out in this country today. Um, and so, yeah, so I've written a piece, it's called Abandoned Purpose, which was on the outside looking in, it appeared that, yeah, my life was going to be abandoned and it wasn't. And, you know, the title Abandoned Purpose is a play on words because you can't really abandon your purpose. You can try <laughs> just as, you know, the purpose that God had created in me, you know, even an abortion wasn't going to stop that. And so, yeah, instead, you know, I like to look at purpose like we look at when we say, you know, you love somebody with abandon, you love somebody with no limit. And I think our purposes have no limit. Exactly. Exactly. Finding your purpose is your strength. Finding your purpose is your destiny. Finding your purpose is the reason why you are here on earth. And when you find it, there is joy and there is peace inside knowing that you're living out and fulfilling your purpose. Kevin, can you tell the audience how they can pick up your purchase, your, your memoir, Growing Up Black and White? Could you give them some information on where they can go and purchase it and how they can get in contact with you? Yep. So it's available on all platforms. It's on Kindle. I did the Audible version last year. You can get a paperback copy through Amazon or my website. And my website is the name of the book, growingupblackinwhite.com. And you go there and see video clips of me doing some of my talks to schools, organizations, adoption agencies. Yeah, the book is sold on my website as well. Awesome. Awesome. And so we're going to have a short commercial break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk more to Kevin about what he's doing, as he just mentioned, in schools, universities, and, and even as an entrepreneur after this short commercial break. Did you know that each of us consumes more air each day than anything else in the world? We breathe in over 3,000 gallons of air every day. According to the Environmental Protection Agency, indoor air levels of many pollutants may be two to five times and sometimes more than 100 times higher than outdoor levels. Whether or not you suffer from allergies or not, there is something you can do about it. 
Introducing the Volera Air and Surface Pro Plus, which combines five nature-based processes into one unique, proven, active technology system that helps clean the air you breathe and the surfaces you touch. Aeros, the global leader in surface and air purification solutions, announced on September 30th, 2020 that independent test results of their hydroxyl blaster with active pure technology confirms that the product kills the SARS-CoV-2 virus on surfaces. The testing data established a 99.98% surface kill rate of live SARS-CoV-2 virus in only 7 hours over 300 square feet of space. SARS-CoV-2 is the known virus that causes COVID-19. During a pandemic such as we are currently living in, you cannot afford not to have this device in your home and or office. Order the Volera Air and Surface Active Pure system today at volera.com forward slash Odell Glenn PhD. Again, that's volera.com forward slash Odell Glenn PhD. Does your child have an interest in STEM? Is he or she always asking the why questions? With four engineering degrees behind him, Dr. Glenn can help you better navigate the process. Sign up on his website at www.ogstem.com for newsletters, his upcoming book, and webinars dedicated to STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. The key to success is to plan early. It's never too early to plan. Hi, I'm Dr. Orlando Morris McCauley Jr., a candidate for Episcopal service in the AME Church. I am the father of three young men and one daughter who are millennials. Their vision and concept of church is quite different than tradition. One of my visions as candidate for bishop is to find innovative ways for which millennials can exercise their gifts and share their vision, especially through technology. There are a few ways you can help the Macaulay for Bishop campaign by donating monetary gifts. You may do so by visiting our website at www.macaulayforbishop.com and clicking on the donation page on the menu. You may donate using the Cash App or the Givelify options. Your gift can make a huge difference in the life of the church. Find us on Facebook at Macaulay for Bishop 2020. Share our link, promote what we do, or find out how to volunteer. The Lord bless and keep you is my prayer. Do you have that burning desire to educate, empower, and inspire community? We here at WDRB Media provide you with such wonderful opportunities to make such a positive impact. So step out on faith and make a significant difference with your gift. We care about your voice and the impact it has. Call one 342 7770 and provide them with the code 1349 to begin the process. That's one 342 and code 1349. Well, welcome back, audience. We are here with Mr. Kevin Hoffman. We are honored that he has told his story and has been authentic in telling it and has written a memoir entitled Growing Up Black and White. And so, Kevin, you know, as an entrepreneur, what have you learned about your message, your marketing, your branding and social media? Of course, those all, all those things are ever changing. But could you share with the audience now that you have written this very popular book? What can what have you learned about it? The biggest thing I've learned as an entrepreneur is if you're a true entrepreneur, you have to understand that that doesn't come without failure. And so I can tell you so many things that I've tried that didn't work out. 
And I got so close to just giving up. You got to understand as an entrepreneur, one doesn't come without the other. You know, most of us assume that my first project is going to be this great success. And that just never happens. So you have to prepare yourself for those failures. And it's just, and, and then the message, it just evolves. It continues to evolve over time. So initially, when I wrote the book, you know, back in 2009, the idea was to market it just to the adoption community. And my wife had told me this early on. She thought, no, this book could reach so many more people. Um, and it took me 10 years to, fi- to finally listen. Um, and yeah, and the book was actually written. I look back on it now. And the main reason I wrote the book was because I just wanted someone to hear how I I was experiencing this world as a person of color. And that has helped greatly when I go into schools, organizations, and universities, because the book just helps to break the ice. I was very purposeful when I wrote the book, and I understood that I had to talk about race. There was no way you could tell my story without talking about race. And so I purposely just wrote the book a lot like if you're familiar with the uh, movie, A Christmas Story, where Ralphie narrates kind of what's going on. That's what I was thinking when I wrote the book was that I want to share with you what I went through growing up. And then I want to share how I see that now and how I saw that then. And so there's a lot of stories about, you know, just the crazy things I did with my best friend growing up. And then I look, reflect back on that and talk about, you know, how those incidents were impacted by race. Awesome. And so audience, Kevin has given us a mouthful on how to be authentically you. Thank God, Kevin, you did listen to your wife because your book is much broader than just the niche of adoption. It is much broader than just that small niche. It has now gone on to be in a realm, and especially today, of love and of race and of differentness similarities and of such. And so I understand that you go into universities and schools. Why is this work necessary for you in going into the high schools and the public schools and to the colleges and universities? Because, and here was my main inspiration for that, when I'd grown up in Detroit, the schools that I went to in Detroit were 95, 98% Black, graduated from high school and decided to go to this school in the middle of nowhere, this small private college in the middle of farm fields. Because I didn't understand at 17 years old that the world wasn't like Detroit. So I assumed that I could just go everywhere and always be around people that look like me. Well, I found out really early when I stepped foot on that all-white campus, there was, the student body was about a 1,100 students, and only 13 of us were Black. So I went from, you know, a high school that was at times like 95%, 98% Black to a college where Black was less than 1%. And that was culture shock for me. And so part of my mission has been how do we create a better experience for students. And so my main challenge when I go into schools and universities is we have to work together so that we can create a space where the kid with the Black Lives Matter t-shirt and the kid with the Make America Great Again hat can coexist. And that's our biggest challenge because those are two totally different extremes. And so what are some of the grassroots efforts that you have seen schools do to create that space where the Black Lives Matter and the Make America Great can come together to work cohesively. I mean, we're trying to do that now, but it is it is still an effort in progress. What have you seen or what grassroots efforts have you taken in schools to make kids be, become aware of that? 
The biggest lesson that I teach on that is that we all have a right to our own three feet. And what that simply means is I can believe how I want to believe. I can vote for how I want to vote. I can love who I want to love all within my three feet. And my three feet has nothing to do with your three feet. And so we get, and social media does does a good job of this. It cons us in thinking we're going to convince someone we've never, ever met before across the world to believe like us. And that just doesn't simply happen, especially if you're not in a relationship with that person. And that's an idea I got from church. You don't minister to somebody you're not in a relationship with. And so it's the same when we're talking about giving each other space to be who we are. Allow me to be who I'm going to be within my three feet. You respect my three feet. I'll respect yours. When we get to the point that we are in relationship, then we can share that space. But it just doesn't make any sense to have those deep conversations if we're coming from two extremes with people you're not in relationship with. There's no investment there. So why would you try and work that out? Exactly. And I did, it's so funny you mentioned that because a couple of weeks ago, I did a recording with a guy by the name of Bill Woolsey. If you're on my podcast, you want to go back and listen to the Bill Woolsey interview. He mentioned that in order to reach and have an effect, you have to both be relationship oriented and intentional. And so the intention is to build a relationship and doing things by, you know, talking about things that they like or just being coming to a common ground. And then to develop, to, to grow that, you then have to develop a relationship where you become friends or become coworkers or just kind of bond together so that you can move forward. Then the healing can begin. Other than that, it's just talk. And so what is your view on the young people of today, high schools? You go into a lot of hot high schools and colleges. What is your view on where, what they see the world as, as opposed to what you saw the world as a child? And are we actually moving in the right direction, even though we know that there is still more work to do? What are your thoughts on that? So unfortunately, especially with last year, things have gotten worse since I grew up. I am raising two Black boys. I married a Black woman. We have two boys. And they were called the N-word more than I ever was going up through school. And I think the last, there's no way to say this easily, but the last administration caused a lot of division in this country. And that became supported. So if you have the leader of the country basically sending the message that it's okay to say horrible things about someone different than you, of course, that's going to have an effect. It's had a huge effect in the last four years. So unfortunately, we've taken this huge step backwards. But the good news is that this perfect storm, and that's not a good use of the word perfect, but there was an unusual series of events that happened last March and April. We were all on lockdown because of COVID. We were all at home sitting in front of our TVs or our phones. And more people than usual got to witness the horrific death of George Floyd. And that sparked something in this country that I don't, I've never seen before. Back in the 60s, the civil rights movement really took off when they started filming the horrible things that were being done to Black people, that police were sicking German shepherds on us, or that police were shooting us with fire hoses. When that hit the evening news, the people that said there's no such thing as all this happening couldn't deny that it was happening. 
And that was a major push behind the civil rights movement. You're seeing the same today, but the push is coming from cell phones because everybody always has their cell phone handy. And so we're seeing these videos. And so those that are that in the past may have said, well, you're just blowing that out of proportion. Police aren't killing people of color at that rate. You can't deny this, especially when you see something as horrific as the eight minutes and 46 seconds it took to kill George Floyd. And I think that perfect storm has caused us and those in power to really finally want to change. Before last year, I had never seen mayors or police chiefs denounce the actions of police officers. For the first time in my life, that happened. And so I am hopeful that with the new administration and where we are today, that there is going to be significant change that I thought wouldn't happen in my lifetime. Exactly. Yes. 2020, I concur with everything you basically just said. 2020 was a year of change where it happened on so many different levels and it happened so quick that the next day and the next day was different radically than any other day. And also the change happened nation worldwide in the sense that you saw Black Lives Matter in Ireland and Switzerland and Australia to bring forth justice. And whether that justice was where they lived or just in the United States, it just brought basically a unity of Let's make change in the midst of a COVID pandemic. And so, Kevin, that brings me to the question, where do you stand today in this country on race and racism and how do we get better? You've already told us some things, but just from your heart, how do we get better and what is your stand? So you had asked me earlier about what grassroots changes, grassroots changes have I seen with schools. This is what I'm so excited about. There's a school in New, in New Jersey I'm working with and a school in Ohio I'm working with. And I both tasked them with the same objective, which is, so these are student groups. And so the biggest, one of the biggest changes we have to make in schools is curriculum. And so I've given those two groups the task of start looking at the books that you're assigned to read as a district, because we've got to do a better job of representing everybody. And so they are going through their list of books. And, and, and the call is to include more diverse voices. And you have to be very purposeful at that. I don't want to see books like the books that I read growing up. And the one that comes to mind is Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry, which was, yeah, it was a book about a family, a very poor sharecropper family who was Black and their struggle in the South. And so it's important, yes, that you have this family of color that you get to read about. But how about we just read a book that happens to be or happens to involve a family of color that's not downtrodden, that's not struggling, or that doesn't have to do with slavery. There are so many other voices in this country that weren't that students just aren't hearing. And so that's what encourages me is to see students really embrace this and say, yeah, I want to hear different voices. I want to read about different life experiences. It's, it's interesting that you are putting forth these changes because schools and universities alike have to deal with the elephant in the room. Yep. There are it's a one voice adherence. Yep. And if you don't hear the diversity and the versatility of our nation through other voices, then students are not being educated to their fullness. And then when they go on to these jobs and then they go into international forecasts, they're not be able to work coherently with each other in teams to know the differences. 
So even though they have diversity training at corporations, it has to begin in the schools and the universities to become diverse. We need to hear from authors that are African-American descent or who told their stories, their point of view, or Latino community, people who are not readily portrayed because the school systems, especially in certain areas, looks different than what they're reading. And if those two don't connect, then how will they understand their history and their contribution to our society? And so are you creating the curriculum or helping the schools or you're just administrating or um, pushing them to do so? So I'm guiding them to make those changes, to understand that there, you need to be have more voices. Like I told, I told one of the groups, I said, look, I wrote my book. I'm the author of my book. So of course, I'm the hero in my own book. We did that with history in this country with school. So you had one version of history. And so I totally agree with what you just said. And that's what I'm challenging one of the schools. Because in their mission, it says they will graduate critical thinkers. And so that was my point to them was, you can't be a critical thinker with only half of the argument. You've got to show the other side. Whether you agree with that or not, if you want to graduate kids that can go out and function in this ever-changing world, this world that is becoming browner and browner every day, then you've got to teach them that other people you know, contributed to this country, which is huge. And that just reminded me, I have to remind the schools that this, that... If you are a child of color where nowhere in school throughout history or in the books that you're reading, you're not represented, often that can leave you with being very frustrated. (laughs) And so when the schools are trying to figure out, well, why is this student so frustrated? It's because they're not represented at all. So you are very openly and honestly telling them their voice doesn't matter by the curriculum that you choose. And so it helps everybody to include everybody. And it will take away some of that angst that some of the students have that they may be presenting in school. Exactly. Kevin, some school administrator, some school guidance counselor, some parent or some nonprofit organization may be listening to you right now and says, hey, we need this in our community. We need this in our school. Can you give your information out so they can contact you? Sure. You can, you can go to my website, growinguplackinwhite.com, or just email me, which is K-E-V-I-N. The number is 8967 at sbcglobal.net. And I love to work with anyone to just create those changes. I mean, those are systemic changes that need to be made. Exactly. Yeah, and my hope with schools and organizations is five years from now, we won't talk about Black History Month because we won't have to. Every month, we should be talking about the contributions that Black people have made to this country. And so there shouldn't be a need for us to take, you know, the shortest month of the year to celebrate that. Exactly. Exactly. And that was actually my next comment that we need not just a month, but we need kind of a conglomerate to learn in all spheres of interviews. And that goes for other communities, our Native Americans as well, and everybody else. So, guys, we're going to take a short commercial break right here. But when we come back, we're going to talk to Mr. Kevin Hoffman about some ideas and some advice he can give to other writers who may be considering writing a story equally as compelling as his after we come back. Do you need a certain SAT score to get into the college of your choice? Well, Dr. Odell Glenn can help you get it. The three-tier foundation offers online SAT prep classes. 
Dr. Glenn will show you test strategies and tactics needed to get the score you want. The exam is beatable with the proper coach. We are open to working with individuals, schools, and groups for six-week online sessions. Sign up at www.3tierfoundation.com forward slash SAT dash preparation. That's www.3tierfoundation.com forward slash SAT dash preparation. In need of a motivational speaker for your upcoming event? Dr. Glenn speaks at school graduations, public gatherings, colleges, and universities. In addition, he is a national radio personality as well as published author. Have him speak at your next in-person or online event at 3tierfoundation at gmail.com. That's the number 3tierfoundation at gmail.com. Welcome back, radio audience. This is Dr. Odell Glenn of the OG Inspiration Show. We're having an awesome conversation with Mr. Kevin Hoffman who has exposed his story and is now telling the world and the nation to bring about healing and change of diversity and multicultural experiences to know that we are different, but unique. And so, Kevin, I want you to kind of tell us about writing the process of writing your book. There may be some person out there who is basically sitting in tears because they're really connecting with your book and the graphic explanation of how you, of the experience that you went through, and maybe they be considering writing a book of their own to not just basically tell their story, but to bring healing because then they have them found their purposes. Can you tell them some advice or tell us some advice you have for other budding writers? Yeah. So one is to differentiate between, I think we all have a story for one. And then the yes. question is, so how do you get the story out there? Some of us are writers. Some of us are not writers. So you have to be honest with yourself because yeah, you could have this amazing story, but if, if it's not told the right way, no one's going to hear it. And it has to be told in a very purposeful way. And like I said, so that's why I took a lot of time to try and figure out one, who was I writing to and what I wanted to say. And that's important. So I, I'm not discouraging people. I just, you need to be honest with, are you a writer? And if you're a writer, then move forward. If not, you can always find a writer who can tell your story. And I, like I said, I think we all have stories that their main purpose for us living these stories is so that other people can hear them and avoid some of the mistakes and issues that we had. Exactly. And, and so, Kevin, I can actually concur with everything you just said. And for those writers, I am concurring. Having written a book for and to caregivers of having gone through and is going through caregiving of two parents, the purpose, as Kevin mentioned, you have to find your purpose. That's then how you find your voice to bring about healing. And so after writing that book, I'm, I'm still getting reviews and people are still being blessed by it, but the peace and the joy that that purpose or that peace has been fulfilled through writing that book is second to none. Now I'm looking for other um, books that I am writing to fulfill other parts of my life that fulfills that purpose. And so as Kevin mentioned, you must have purpose. What You have to ask yourself, what is the purpose? And then when you find that purpose, then if you are right it right, if you're not a writer, you can get a ghostwriter to write to make sure that all the hidden purposes come out that could help and heal. Do, can you speak more to that, Kevin? Yeah, and that's exactly it, is that you just want someone to help you kind of 
say it in the best way. Like, so when I'm talking to writers, that's the number one thing I tell them is, how are you going to say it in a way that no one else has said it? And, and the best writers can do that. And so, yeah, so not we're not all writers, which is fine. You know, some of us, you know, some people can design, but they're not sewers. So they can design things and give it to the seamstress to put it together. It's the same thing with writing. So it's your story. You're just working with someone who has developed that craft to give your story the best impact. And if you are a writer and you're going through your own story, take your time with it. I don't think there's any such thing as writer's block. I think there were times when I would write my book and then there were weeks that would go by that I just didn't feel like writing. And some will term that writer's block. To me, that was just my body and my mind saying I needed a break, especially if you're talking about your own personal memoir, you're writing from your own emotional experience. And your body and mind just needs a break from that. And so yes. we encourage that those breaks are really just to give you the energy to finish, you know, the project. You hit it um, right on the nose, Kevin. <laughs> Having gone through that in a dissertation, it is a grueling process. However, every those breaks do strengthen you. It's almost like you have to sleep. You have to eat. Exactly. You need a break as well. So. Yeah. So, yeah, you either take them or your body won't. won't <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Kevin, what are your future aspirations? Are you writing more books or what, where do you see yourself going in the next five years? I'm sure you'll be a household name soon. <laughs> um, I'm claiming that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So I've been toying around with, yeah, just writing a book about this whole idea of coming to some reconciliation between the two races. And what's really been on my mind is, and I used to, when I first started training, yeah, I, I would use, I would say this word, but for, then it just wouldn't use it. So anytime white privilege comes up, you get this very visceral response from a lot of white people, which is I've worked hard. There's no such thing as white privilege. And so one of the schools I'm working with, that was part of the blowback we were getting was one of the teachers didn't feel he basically said there's no such thing as white privilege or uh, systemic racism. And so that's really inspired me to talk about those things in a way I think that people can understand. Right. And right. so that, yeah, so that's been really on my mind this last couple of weeks is, and yeah, the thought is, you know, the subject that I used to avoid, that'll probably start the book. We'll talk about white privilege. Exactly. And, and so we're blessed that you created that space to be able to sit down and talk and heal because the first part of love is just to listen. Sometimes exactly. you just have to listen and then then the healing can begin. The process of healing can begin and creating and those nice. spaces helps. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's great that you said that, because most of the time when I get called into schools, it's become it's because something happened. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. They all call it. It's usually so I'll get a call and they'll say, yeah, we had an incident. They always call it the incident, which is just yeah. funny to me. Um, right. And so I get called in and, and they say, OK, well, we have an angry parent of a child of color and they were called this name. What should we do? And I said, you bring the parent in and your main objective in this first meeting is to do nothing but listen. Yes. You don't get to argue whether their points are valid or not. All you get to do is listen and take notes and let them know that you will get back with them after you've had some time to digest what what they've given. Because that's the most important thing. I had that with my kids when my kids kids were in school and they were called horrible names. I'd go up to the school and then the school would tell me why my kid got it wrong, why the kid who called my kid that didn't know what he was talking about. 
it's just a word he hears in rap music. And I was given all these excuses and that did nothing to help my pain. I was, my kid was, you know, brokenhearted and I'm having to deal with that. Right. Right. Wow. So Kevin, we are closing in on time. I wish we could have another hour to talk with you, but can you leave the radio audience and the podcast audience with any final words of empowerment or encouragement? Yeah. And, and that's it. I, if you had asked me this a year ago, I wouldn't have the same answer. I am very hopeful as to our future in this country when it comes to race. I think we're finally going to address some things that have just never been addressed. And that's been part of the rub for the for the black community is these horrible things have happened and no one said anything about it. And so now it's time for those things to be addressed so that we can move forward. Yes. And like yourself, I have hope and I'm very optimistic for a brighter future. Let us say a closing prayer. God, we thank you for this opportunity to sit with Kevin Hoffman for a hearty conversation on race, culture, and diversity. Now, God, we ask that as a nation and as a world, that as we bond together to heal, that we would continue to embrace each other's differences and move forward towards righteousness. We thank you in advance for the progress, and we thank you for where we are progressing to. We ask that with your help, that we will continue to move forward. We thank you, amen, amen. And so this is all the time that we have for the OG Inspiration Show. We have had a great time with Mr. Kevin Hoffman. And until next time, this is Dr. Odell Glenn of the OG Inspiration Show. We'll hear you and see you on next week. God bless and have an awesome week.